following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. All right, everybody. Put your hands together. I'm trying to get organized up here. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you know, our, our staff is, uh, is playing this thing on, on their cell phones, what they're going to look like when they get older. <laughs> and so they want to do that to me. I look like I'd already been dead 10 years in that picture. <laughs> so my brother-in-law, Scott, over in Houston, <laughs> sent something to me the other day, a little text to me. We text back and forth, and he sent a text, and he said, my kids wanted me to send you this older picture of myself. And it was his father. It was my father-in-law, Frank Jones, in the flesh without, without the brown eyes. Scott's got blue eyes, and his dad had brown. It was his daddy. So I decided to send one of me back to him. So I just sent me right now. And I said, I'm already old. Take it. And uh, he came back with a compliment that we won't be talking about right here, right now. Okay. Are you glad to be in church? I just, I can't get over you folks because you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And when you have that, you will be filled. And it is such an honor to talk to you and to preach to you and to teach to you and to share the gospel. And uh, I want to go ahead and announce Sunday I have something very special to preach to this congregation. I really, really do. God has given me a directive for this church the, last, the next to the last Sunday in July right here in Austin, Texas. And I'm going to be preaching that on Sunday, all three services. Next Wednesday we're back for the third part of True Worship. And then the next Sunday, God's given me something else to talk to you about. So I'm, 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 I'm ahead that far because I'm just, well, I hadn't been getting to preach a lot lately. I'm teasing. I've, I've kind of taken a little break because a lot of pastors take these, uh, these vacations and get away and these sabbaticals. And I don't, I don't like those because when I get away, I get out of my rhythm. And I love the rhythm of church. I love the rhythm of God's house. And I get out of that rhythm. And uh, Sunday, uh, uh, General Vincent Brooks was here, he and his wife, and he's retired. And when he walked out on the front porch after service, this is so cool. I said, sir, are you, are you kind of getting, are you kind of missing the rhythms of the military? He said, yeah, a little bit. But he said, I'm not, I'm not missing the rhythms of having to get up early. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's just so much fun to be able to sleep in in the summertime. And I know you parents are saying, oh, God. Oh, God, school's coming again, and it is, and we're going to rejoice with you because school's going to be back in session, and, and, and the mothers are going to drop their kids off and weep with them, then go back to the house and just dance like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> but we won't tell your children that. They're next door, all right? All right. If you love the Lord, stand to your feet. If you don't, go ahead and do it anyhow. Amen. <laughs> what a joy. What a joy to see you tonight, and it is such an honor to pastor this August Church, and uh, I love you very, very much, and I want you to know that, and uh, thank you for just making this a very special night for us. I love Wednesday nights, and our Wednesday nights are not broke, so we're not trying to fix them. We're just trying to give and add to what God has given us here at CLC. True worship, everybody say true worship, true worship. Part, two. part two. 
Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. And I hope he's not long. And I've told you before, but I'll be like the Kardashians. I won't keep you long, all right? That's what they tell their husbands. You can be seated. God bless you. God bless you. These are exciting days. They really are. Science is plumbing the depths of the human genome and finding that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalms chapter 139, verse 14. I am not one of those pastors, and don't, don't draw swords with me, who feel that the most important part of any service is the preaching of the word. I'm not, I don't necessarily ascertain to that. But I believe the most important part of any service is when an individual opens up to God. I think that our opening to the presence of God and letting God in and letting ourselves out is one of the most important parts of the service of God. It tops singing, it tops preaching, it is the best that we can have in church. In Revelation 22, John said, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, the angel said to him, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the word of this scroll. Then he says to John, worship God. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to worship God in spirit and in truth. The research is in. There's an accumulating body of evidence that shows we humans enter the world pre-wired for music. God just put it in us. Some have it better than others. Some have a rhythm to their music. Others don't. Some can't clap on beat and they can't clap off beat. They clap quarter beat. Somehow, I don't know how. But Newsweek a few years back had an article entitled Music on the Mind and researchers reported that newborns are able to detect changes in pitch and in tempo of music. For example, infants smile when the air is filled with perfect fourths and fifths on the piano or on the guitar like C and F or seven half steps like C and G. But when the babies hear those tritones, they hate them, or where two notes are separated by six half steps like C and F sharp. In the medieval times, it was simply known as the devil, the devil. And it's proven that people can remember the tunes of hundreds of songs even when they cannot remember the lyrics. They can remember the tune. Music seems to lodge and resonate in the mind. Scientists feel that this explains the similarity of music across cultures and across centuries of our lives. Matthew Alper, in his book, The God Part of the Brain, offers a basic explanation to this phenomenon. He says there's a part of the brain located near the prefrontal lobe and, and the temporal cortex that is specifically programmed for worship, for worship. Our mind is programmed for worship. And even though Alper is a skeptic, he coined the phrase to explain why infants like music and why people can remember tunes from years ago. He simply says, human beings are wired for worship. Now, I hope your wiring has not gone bad. I hope you still are plugged in to the source. 
Because I believe that any time we want to, we can worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Would you clap your hands and say amen to that? John wrote this in Revelation 22, the text I read. Revelation is the last book that he would write. Chapter 22 is the last chapter penned under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And John's long, glorious life filled with the presence of the great God in Christ is drawing to a close. And wouldn't you know it, chapter 22 involves worship. Hallelujah. See, John was a worshiper. He stayed close to Jesus on this earth. He was closest on the night of his betrayal. It was John who stood by the cross and took Mary home with him. And he was the disciple that said, he said, I'm the one that Jesus loved. John was a worshiper, leave it on. When Jesus went into heaven, it would be John and he alone who would recall an encounter that the master had with a Samaritan woman at a well in John 4. And John described the scene, the word worship in John 4 is used more than any other place in the Bible. John knew it. The Lord seeks worshipers. John was a worshiper. He's now exiled on Patmos and worshiping, getting lost in the spirit on the Lord's day. And John exits from the Aegean Sea to the Crystal Sea. And worship will take you places, folks. It'll take you places that you've never gone in your life. Let me transpose just a little bit here. Remember John 4, 23 and 24. When Jesus said a time is coming, he told the woman at the well and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must, 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 must worship in spirit and in truth. I was on a golf course with a man several years ago and I asked them about how they brought people to the Lord. He said, well, we take the must out of the Bible. All the must are taken out of the Bible. And I said, even the one where Jesus said, you must be born again. He said, well, we keep that one. And I said, how about the one where he said that worshipers must worship in spirit and truth? He said, well, we need to keep that one too. We don't, but we need to keep that one. But I want to tell you, there's some must that we have to hold on to. True worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. I know you've battled today, and I know that you wrestled traffic getting here, and I know you probably had a little bit of road rage, and you spoke in a tongue that wasn't the unknown tongue of heaven. But I will tell you in this house tonight, we must worship him in spirit and in truth tonight. It's important that we do that. This place has always been a place of worship. It's our way. It's our belief. It's our tradition. But no tradition is guaranteed results. And I said this last week, and I'll repeat it again. The barrenness of holy habit, unaccompanied by holy fire, is a threat to us all. Jesus addressed a group of people in Matthew 15. He said, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There's some people that are 12 inches from God. 
their lips and their heart, their lips and their heart. It's important that we get closer to God, not just honor him with our lips. The function of worship without the fire of worship prevents the release of fragrance in worship. And so the incense of the soul is trapped inside where neither God nor man can experience its fullness and beauty. Incense on the inside says, I must come out. I must be released. And the only way for that incense to be released is for us to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. How many times have we come to church and worshiped, yet it was mostly form and fashion? Come on, let me get honest with you. I've worshiped before until I felt better, until my load was lifted. Some people come to the altar for that, just to lift their load and maybe take away the burden of perhaps a mistake or a sin in their life. But ladies and gentlemen, that's the wrong motive for worship. If you worship him for any reason other than because he's worthy, then your motive is wrong. I'm standing before you admitting something tonight that I need to admit. I'm addicted to worship. I love worship. Just call me a junkie. I've never had drugs in my veins. I've never had drugs ingested in my body except those that the doctor said I must take to get better. I like to get high though. I love to feel good. I'm addicted because I like the escape and I like the way it makes me feel to be lost in the presence of Almighty God. I love it. And my motive for worship may have been wrong. Matter of fact, sometimes I think we are all guilty of worshiping the worship more than the God of worship. Sometimes we want to feel his presence more than we want him. I'm preaching, I'll go a step further. Some of us are guilty of coming to church because we enjoy it here. And you ought to enjoy church because we knew others would be here. And that's a good thing to be because we knew there would be great singing and perhaps a good word. We still don't know if that's gonna happen yet or not tonight. And we might need to try to remember the last time you came to church just because God was here. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, hear me, I'm gonna be there in the midst of my people. There's more than two or three here tonight. Somebody clap your hands and say, I love you, Jesus because I know you were waiting on us when we walked in the door here tonight and your presence is in this house right now. Come on, clap real big for him right now. Some of us need to try to remember the last time you worshiped him for his sake and not for your own benefit. I know even David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He enjoyed church. David was a man after God's own heart. And I trust that I am. I trust I am because I am chasing his heart. And church should be enjoyable. But that wasn't David's motive for going to church. David said in Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord. And that is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in 
his temple. Everybody say the Lord is not far from any of us. Come on, we need to understand he's right here with us. And if you have a need, there is a God in this house right now. If you need healing, the God of healing's in this house right now. If you need salvation, the God of salvation's in this house right now. If you need deliverance from something, the God of deliverance is in this house. There's no reason to come here just for form and formality. We might as well just go ahead and just break it down and say, I will worship you tonight. I will not leave here till I break through and I have a worship session in your presence tonight. Hallelujah. This is not a super achievement on our part, but simply a reward of true worship. James said, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. A young boy one day complained, I'm not trying to be a big time preacher, but I got a towel up here tonight. And the reason I have that towel is because I've been having some severe voice trouble and vocal trouble. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to sound like some gravelly throat singer, but I've had some trouble. And, and sometimes when I've been talking, things happen that I need a towel to catch it. You know what I'm saying? And it's not a tic-tac coming out, all right? I've been here long enough to share that with you. Young boy complained to his dad one day that church songs were boring. His father said, if you think you can do better, why don't you just write one? And so in 1690, Isaac Watts, a teenager, went to his room and wrote his first song. And it was called, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. As a teenager, later he wrote the classic, Joy to the World, The Lord is Come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart let every heart declare him king. And heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing. Feeling bored? Write a song. <laughs> Write a song. You know you are wired for it. You might as well go ahead and express what you're wired for. Don't get your wires all crossed up tonight and say, no, I've had a shortage in my brain. No, you haven't. God's got you wired up and I need to turn you on to worship of Jesus Christ in this house tonight. I really do. Check this one out. Somebody wrote a song several years ago called Superstar. I love it. Here's how it goes. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. We were born to worship someone. It's true. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are my superstar and they know who you are. You are the only one by far because you are never changing. You're my superstar. <laughs> now somehow, somehow that doesn't have the same feel as joy to the world. It may not be a life-changing song, but it proves a valid point. Man is wired for worship, and man will worship, and man must worship. But please, when you worship, worship the superstar. Worship the bright and morning star. Worship the day star. Come on, clap your hands and say, I will magnify the Lord in my life and in my heart. We're not made to worship anyone. We're made to worship the one. Don't worship flawed copies of the original. Fanny Crosby was a blind woman and in her town one day a Messiah came and said he was the Messiah and he was healing the sick and raising the dead. And he was walking the downtown streets and Fanny asked her housekeeper to take her to that man and find him and she wanted to meet him. 
And Fanny walked up and said, I hear you're the Messiah. He said, yes, ma'am, I am. What can I do for you? She said, let me feel your hands. And she felt his hands and she said, you might ought to leave this town. You're not the Messiah. My Messiah has nail prints in his hands. And she went home and she wrote this song. I shall know him. I shall know him. And redeemed by his side, I will stand. I shall know him. I shall know him by the prints of the nails in his hand. You hear me. If, he's not having, if he doesn't have nail prints in his hand, you might as well walk away from that little God that you're going to worship. I don't care if his name is Elvis or last name Presley. I don't care who he is or where they come from or how long they've been around. There's one true king and his name is Jesus Christ. And we're going to worship him because one day he's coming to get us. Oh, somebody needs to help me right now. Somebody needs to help me right now. And his name... His name is not LeBron either. <laughs> Everybody say, we're going to worship the original, the one who made us, the one who redeemed us, the one who forgave us, the one who saved us, the one who heals us, the one who delivers us, the one who will return for us. We're going to worship him. See, John made that mistake and fell before one of the heavenly hosts. And the creature rebuked him and said, not me, it's about him. It's all about him. So what does worship mean? What does it mean? It's mentioned 153 times in the Bible. Obviously, it's of great importance if it's mentioned that many times. It's portrayed as both a privilege and a duty. Worship means giving God his worth. Now, I'm going to put on the screen, worship equals worship. It means to ascribe worth to something or to someone. Is anybody that you can think of worthy of worship tonight? I can think of someone that is. My Lord and my King is worship, is worthy of my worship because he's worthy of all that I can give him. Not an event or a ritual. It's an expression of love, of gratitude, of reverence and our awe. Giving worth must cost you something. Revelation 5 has a dilemma because there was no one found worthy on earth. And there's no one found worthy in heaven. And John wept because no one was worthy. And the angel said, weep not, John. The lamb has come. And he is worthy. And in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, they sang a new song. And they sang, you were slain and have redeemed us to God. And have made us kings and priests to our God. Can you clap your hands and say, I love Revelation chapter 5. Come on. Because one day we're going to see the Lamb for ourselves. So worship simply means God is worthy. God is worthy. God is worthy. Say it with me. God is worthy. Fritz Chrysler was a master violinist. And he desired a rare Stradivarius violin in his life. They're so expensive. They're so rare. And he found one in a home one day of an Englishman who had the fortune to purchase it. And so Fritz offered him money, and the Englishman said, this violin, sir, is not for sale. And Fritz said, then can I at least see the violin? Do you mind if I hold it? And the man said, no, go ahead. So Fritz picked it up, tuned it, tucked it beneath his chin, and masterfully drew the bow across the strings. 
And as the master played, tears fell on the Englishman's face. And Fritz thought he had upset him. And he said, no, no, I'm not upset, sir. But I told you that violin is not for sale. And it's not, but it is yours. I give it to you. Because you're the master. And you alone are worthy of it. Then can I'm going to put this on the screen and you're going to have to grab it. A masterpiece belongs to a master. Everybody say, I, I am a masterpiece. Am a masterpiece. <laughs> I am God's workmanship. I'm his poema. I'm his poetry. I'm his song in motion. This is who I am. And this masterpiece only worships the master. Jesus and him alone. I want to preach a little bit here. There's no sense in you being the masterpiece that God made you. There's no sense in you worshiping something else. You belong only in the hands of the master tonight. So when you drive out of the driveway tonight at this church, I want you to be looking up after you look both ways, see if anybody's coming. I want you to be looking up and say, Jesus, I heard tonight one more time that I'm a masterpiece. And a masterpiece belongs to the master. And the creature is not greater than the creator. And Romans 1 said they'll worship and love the creature more than the creator. But this church is not going to love and worship the creature more than the creator. We're going to worship the master of it all, Jesus Christ. He is Lord of everything. Come on, he's Lord of everything. So I'm enjoying teaching this tonight. Worship means giving God the best. Everybody said we've got to give him the best. Oswald Chambers said, worship is giving God the best that he has given you. I just need you to ask yourself a series of questions. Has he, has he saved you? Has he ever healed you? Has he ever brought something to your family and you thought, God, how did that happen? How did that happen? Has he ever healed you? Has he ever done something to your kids? And you said, that kid's so stubborn he'll never amount to a, my God. He's amounting to something. God just knows how to stop you in mid-sentence of your declaration of negativity in your life. But I'm declaring to you right now, he's the master. And when you worship him, you give him your best. In the Old Testament requirements for offering sacrifice to God, you couldn't bring a lame sacrifice or a blind sacrifice. It had to be the best, and God still requires the best. I love the story of the old farmer who had been a miser before he got converted and hated giving anything to anybody. And shortly after, one of the neighbors suffered a serious loss in the church, and he went to his smokehouse and got a prized ham to take to them. And the devil said, why give them the whole ham? Half a ham would be sufficient. And he opened the smokehouse door and he remembered the little lesson he had learned about practicing the presence of God. And when the devil comes, the church said, just rebuke him. <laughs> and so the old man was heard to say, look, Satan, if you don't shut up and pipe down, I'll give them neighbors the whole smokehouse. I'm going to give them everything in here if you don't shut up. Worship, folks, is whole hog or nothing. <laughs> Come on now. If you're not going to give it all, don't even start. Anybody got an all in you tonight? You got an all in you tonight? You have an all in you tonight? Come on, clap your hands. I'm not trying to get emotional with you. 
but you got an all in you tonight. We're talking about true worship. See, left to our own devices, we become glory hogs. We need to give our God our best. Let me describe worship a little. Number one, it's visible. John heard the heavenly creatures. He saw their worship. Worship is not couched in mystery and mysticism. It is a visible thing. Hallelujah. It's not being ashamed of standing in the presence of God and declaring, you are my Lord. You're my God. That's what worship's about. And number two, it reveals the real you. I saw a little show last night on TV and, and, and I just found it by accident. I was channel surfing because there's nothing to watch for a pastor this time of the year. Because basketball's not being played. Summer league is over in Las Vegas and basketball's not being played. And I can't, well, I, I don't like baseball. And, and, and football's not near there. And, and Ezekiel may not sign his contract. And, and Dak, oh God, I'm just worried to death about him. I'm praying about him every day. <laughs> but I found this thing called Man on the Moon last night. Man on the Moon. And the 20th of this month, 50 years ago, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin stepped on the moon. And it was a great, great day. And I remember where I was. I remember where I was at when that happened. I remember exactly what I was doing when that happened. And I just think it was so cool. And 12 men have been on the moon. And they've all said, I can't describe what I saw and what I felt when I got there. It was overwhelming for them. Duke Ellington, a late jazz musician and composer, was once asked to define rhythm. And he said this. He said, if you got it, you don't need a definition. And if you don't have it, ain't no definition going to help. Does anybody ever get in awe of the presence of God? I don't have to tell you what you need to do. Anybody want to stand to your feet right now and just say, I love you, Jesus. Just a little praise break right now, a little worship session. Come on, come on. I'm not far from finishing. Wow, wow, wow. Turn to your neighbor and say, face it. You're wired for worship. You may be seated. God bless you. Worship reveals the real you. Worship revealed who David was. And worship revealed who his wife Michael was. She despised it and David loved it. Worship revealed who Abel was. And worship revealed who Cain was. Worship creates transparency. Worship is the doorway to discipleship. And worship is the first response to the gift of God's presence in our lives. And the next point I want to make in my next to the last one is worship happens regardless of the circumstances. Say it, worship happens. Job said he gives and he takes away. David said, I'll praise him in the palace. I'll praise him on the battlefield. And I'll praise him in a sheepfold. Miriam, I need to ask her. Can you just dance on only one side of the Red Sea, Miriam, or can you dance on both sides of the Red Sea? Is it after you've been delivered, or can you dance on both sides of it? Can you praise him when the army's coming? I wrote a book several years ago, and the, the, the thesis of that book was Leviticus 23 and 40. It speaks of a palm tree and a willow tree and a solemn assembly that the people would go to. And a palm branch is, is for the good, the joy, the happy times. And a, a willow branch is the sadness and the weeping and the tearing. And he said, when you come to the solemn assembly, bring something that will make you happy and bring something that might make you weep. But it doesn't matter what you carry and carry something. Don't just praise him when everything's going good and worship him. 
And don't just worship him when everything's going bad and you're crying your heart out, but come balanced because he's worthy of your worship when everything is balanced in your life. Come on, he's worthy of your worship when everything's balanced in your life. Come on, come on. He's worthy, he's worthy, he's worthy. Steve Ingram said, you don't become a worshiper when you become a Christian. You become a worshiper when you determine to worship God regardless of your circumstance. I'm gonna give you four little things here then I'm gonna push to close. There's four times in the Bible that just blows my mind with this word called worship. And one is found in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon one time in his ministry, one time. And he crossed the border. He was out of his locale. He was out of his Galilee. He was out of his Jerusalem. He was out of his Israel. He went to Tyre and Sidon, a Gentile place. And a Gentile woman came to him, a woman from Canaan came, from, came to him. And she had a daughter vexed with the devil. And she said, my daughter is vexed. We need your help. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm not given to anybody but the household, the lost sheep of Israel. And the Bible said, watch this, she worshiped him and said, help us. And when she worshiped him, the disciples said, send her away. That's the crowd that was his boys. Send her away. And he said, it's not meat to give the children's bread to dogs. And she said, truth, Lord, but the dogs do eat the crumbs that fall from the table. In the Bible, he said, great is your faith. Your daughter is healed this very hour. Listen to me now. Listen to me. I've heard people say that there's some people on this earth that can't truly worship because they don't have the right doctrine. You hear me. Worship is not about having the right doctrine. It's realizing what he can do for you regardless of your circumstance. And some people are going to be sitting on the sideline, not getting your blessing and not getting your deliverance because somebody came and broke through the crowd and worshiped him. And you said, they need to get out of here. I'm the cool one and they're not the cool one. No, the cool ones are those that understand that whatever's happening in my life, there's a God that can set me free. The second story that just dazzles me is Mark 5. The demoniac of Gadara. When Jesus stepped on the shore of Gadara, this man came running to him. He had at least 2,000 demons in him. And he bowed down and he worshiped him. And all of a sudden, Jesus was having a talk with the demon in him. He said, what is your name? He said, my name is Legion for we are many. And watch this, when the man worshiped Jesus, the swine said, I mean the, the, the demon said, hey, don't cast us into the abyss. Put us in those hogs over there, put us in the swine. Do you hear what I'm saying? The devil had a prayer request. You're not getting me, you're not getting me. I'm above you right now, come on, get on up a little higher. The devil had a prayer request. He said, don't throw us out there, put us in those hogs. 
And when they worshiped, when the man worshiped, the Lord gave them their request and put them in the hogs and the hogs went into the water and were drowned. Here's what I'm telling you. It don't matter what your past is or how bad your life is. When you recognize that there's a God that can do something for you in any circumstance. One interpretation said he immediately let those demons have their way. Please be seated. I'm just preaching. Don't, don't mind me. The third that this absolutely destroys me is Matthew 9. A ruler of the synagogue who was not messianic. His name was Jairus. And he comes to Jesus. And his daughter is dead. And he worships Jesus. Not praise, he worships Jesus. I'm about through, I'm, I'm, I'm four minutes over, forgive me. He worships Jesus. And Jesus says, let's go. And when the man turns to go home, Jesus follows a man who's not even messianic to his house, runs out those that are doing all the, 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 the crying and the weeping, the professional weepers, runs them out, walks in, tells the maid to get up and walk. And a 12-year-old girl gets up and walks out to a dad that did not even know who really Jesus was. He just knew he had a situation that was greater than anything he could ever do in his life. And he had heard that that man might be a healer and might be a resurrector. And when you get in that position, I promise you, you're not gonna do a little bit of this. You're gonna say, I will worship you. I need help in my house. I need help with demons that are after me. I need help with my family, my kids. Yeah, hallelujah. And then the fourth one that just wears me out is John 4, the text we had last week, the woman at the well, a Samaritan. Folks, not one, not one believing person in the whole crowd. And every one of them got their prayer answered. Pow. It's because our praise has come up short because praise is giving him thanks for what he's done. Worship is giving him adulation for who he is. And when she left, she left all of her water pots. But she came back with a whole city. Huh. Folks, if this church could ever turn on to a thing called worship, this city would be running to this place because the devils would be coming out of people and children would be aligning themselves to the kingdom of God. Come on now. And children who are dead to the trespasses of sin would be raised up. I'm telling you, God's got something great for people that will worship him. Come on, clap your hands all over the house. Hmm. Randy, if you'll help me. I've got to quit. I've got to quit. Give me three more minutes. Tommy Dorsey. Learn to worship in every circumstance. 
his wife died giving birth to a baby boy and then just a little while later the little baby died and he buried his wife and son together, 1932. And he was depressed for weeks and he went to the piano and began to write these words one day, precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on and let me stand. I am tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Through the storm and through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me on. I've sung that song. And as worship came, so did the healing. Bad times, folks, were made for worship. And I close, and you stand with me. I appreciate you standing. Thank you for being such a great company of people. Next Wednesday night, we're going to conclude this, and we're going to have a good time next Wednesday night. Everybody say, worship is selfless, but Godful. <laughs> you know, our artesian well needs no pump. Pressure causes the water to flow. When I first started seeing my sweet wife, Patty, she lived in Humble, Texas, on Ann Street. And uh, I would drive by an artesian well in Humble just to see if it was still shooting up. And every time I went, it was still doing it. And we've been married going on 38 years, and I thank God for that. We've put up with each other for almost 38 years. And we're in more love now than we've ever been in our life. But if we drove to Humble tomorrow, the artesian well would still be flowing. See, pressure causes it to flow. It flows of its own accord. And worship is this way. It shouldn't be primed or pumped. It should flow freely. So when pressures of life come, worship should flow out of you. When you're pressured on every side, worship should flow out of you. You shouldn't crumble down. You should worship out. You should worship out. You should worship out. There is a scripture in 1 Corinthians 16 talks about being addicted to the saints of God. There's one time the word addicted is in the Bible, so that's why I said I'm addicted to this thing called worship. I don't want to boast. I don't want to make a boast here tonight. But I love to brag on Jesus. How can you not brag on him? I love to brag on him. Some of y'all need to learn some new brag lines. Not drag lines, but brag lines. Don't drag him down, brag on him. He inhabits that. He healed a Seraphonician woman's daughter. He healed a ruler of the synagogue's daughter. He healed a demoniac man of demons. Worship just absolutely excites him. Tune in to worship and see what God will do for you in your life. Everybody say Sunday morning. When we walk in this church, we're going to be worshipers. Come on, we're going to be worshipers. Lift your hands all over the house. Come on, lift your hands. Dear Father, I love you tonight.
And I thank you for the word that's been brought tonight. I thank you for the anointing. I thank you for people that have come hungry for hearing the word of God. Thank you for this night and thank you for the joy that comes in the morning. And God, we need a miracle in our church. We need a bunch of miracles in our church, but we need a miracle. God, you know what we have need of before we ask. But Lord, give us a miracle in this house. In Jesus' name, turn to somebody and say, I am a worshiper. Come on, say it. I am a worshiper. And I will worship the Father in spirit and truth. I love you. Thank you for being here tonight. Brother Randy, are the singers?